Nashville. Well, this is a surprise. <laughs> Kyle was on the schedule for the night, and Kyle is in California. Um, and we thought we had this covered, but apparently miscommunication. So, surprise for me as much as for you. Um, we're supposed to talk about angels tonight. And uh, obviously, since I've had all of about one minute to prepare, I'll be relying on you all to help me as much as you can. <clears throat> it's not like I've never thought about angels before, but it's been a while. Um, so pray for me. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, uh, Jared Nix, will you please uh, leave a prayer for us to start the class? Amen. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so, what's an angel? We're talking about the flesh and the spirit. Where do angels fit in here? Messengers. Messengers, excellent. The word angel is actually the word messenger in Greek. It's just transliterated into English. <clears throat> so if you, when you say angel, you're practically saying the Greek word for messenger. And sometimes that creates some difficulties in translations because when you see the word messenger in scripture, is it talking about an angel, or is it talking about just any messenger, a human messenger? Uh, and that does create some lack of clarity in a few cases. But um, in most cases in the scripture, it's going to be reasonably clear when somebody kind of appears out of nowhere, arrayed in white, you get the picture. Probably talking about what we call an angel rather than just a messenger. Our, when I said where do they fit into the spirit-flesh duality, in general, angels are what kind of beings? Spiritual. Spiritual, thank you. All right. They're spirits. Uh, and the book of Hebrews talks specifically about them being ministering spirits that minister to us. <clears throat> That's interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we're going to categorize angels as spirit beings, and yet, like other spirit beings, at times, they did what? Okay, they took on a form of one kind or another, and very often it's a form that's really indistinguishable from human. Uh, people who saw them didn't necessarily know. Abraham, as a case in point, didn't know that he was talking to angels at the time that he was. Uh, and Hebrews references him, um, doesn't call him by name, but it's, it talks about certain people entertaining angels unawares. Uh, so it is possible. Um, in, it's in the uh, angels, um, the realm of what they're capable of and what they sometimes do to uh, appear to people and people not know that the appearance that they've seen is, is actually an angel. Okay, so spiritual beings sometimes take on forms that humans can see and as uh, Sister Valley mentioned, the, the chief function, the one that we associate them with most often, is reflected in their name, and that is their messengers. Okay, so what kind of messengers, what kind of messages have people received over time from angels? Warnings. Okay. Do you have an example of a warning that an angel delivered to somebody? The flood. 
Okay. Uh, I, what what role did the angels play in the flood? I'm trying to trying to dredge that up. Well, perhaps I'm wrong. Oh, I don't know. Um, um, Mary and Jesus, the angels came and told them to flee. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So. Um, what other, okay, so, so warnings, what other kind of messages did people receive from angels? Promises. Promises, like? Uh, Hagar was promised. Okay, angel. great. All right. Yeah. So it was an angel that appeared to Hagar and told her that she would receive a son and that, uh, and when she was out in the wilderness, an angel also appeared to her and told her that she'd be cared for, didn't, didn't he? Okay. Um, what are some other messages that have come from angels? Pardon? Birth. birth. Okay. The harbinger of a coming birth, and most notably who? Yeah, okay. Most notably the birth of Jesus through Mary. That was foretold to her by the angel that stands in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Uh, what other kinds of messages do you know about? Let me broaden the base of the discussion a little bit. We see a number of creatures in the Bible that we often describe as angels. They may not be called angels per se, um, but there are these creatures called cherubim and seraphim, and they have each descriptions in some of the Old Testament prophets that tell us a little bit more about what you would see if you actually witnessed one of these. And this is different, isn't it, from the, the kinds of appearances of angels that you see in talking, that are oftentimes talking to people. What are these angels doing? That, that, attending God. Okay, attending God, and also the cherubim in particular seem to have kind of a, a, a warfare connotation to them. The cherubim are fierce. Lawrence likes to joke about little chubby babies with wings, but you wouldn't, that's not the picture that we're given of cherubs in the, in the scriptures. Um, these are the guys that, that uh, <clears throat> have the ability to kill uh, 100,000 Syrians in, in a night. Um, these are the guys with the, the uh, flaming swords that stand guard over the Garden of Eden. Um, so these are, these, uh, not necessarily described as angels, but we kind of think of them in the same vein because they're spiritual <coughs> creatures that sort of appear in the, the heavenly realm and, and make occasional appearances in, and uh, provide, bring messages to some of the prophets. Uh, are they angels or not? I wouldn't argue the point either way, but, um, but they, they seem to be categorically these sorts of same sort of uh, celestial beings. All right, so angels really perform a, a very wide variety of functions. Uh, the, the main one seems to be communication. There, there, is all, there are also some indications of angels participating in the same battle that we participate in. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, no, Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll open over there with me. We've read this before together in this class. Uh, 
This is where he's talking about the spiritual armor. And he says, <clears throat> find the verse reference. 610. Is it 10? I was looking too far down. Yeah, that's where the where the paragraph starts. Uh, strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, put on the armor of God. We do, oh, 12, that's what I was looking for. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so what we said earlier in the class was that there's this battle going on and somehow we're participants in that battle and that's why we need to take on the spiritual armor and that's why we need to see the world through spiritual eyes because we're actually taking part in this battle even though in a physical sense we can't witness it. It involves a kind of being. It involves these spiritual beings that exist in the spiritual realm and some of them are not nice creatures. On the other hand, we have angels who seem to be participating in that battle with us. You have this appearance of Michael in Daniel. You remember the appearance of Michael in Daniel where he just kind of pops in from nowhere and he says, I was fighting against the prince of the east and I had to stop and bring you this message, but then I got to get back to the battle. So apparently some spiritual battle that's taking place. And he, Michael has to take a break in order to, to have this conversation with Daniel so that he can get on with his business. So the, the imagery that we're given, both Old Testament and New Testament, is out of our immediate physical sight, but as much a reality as you and I, there is a battle taking place you're a participant, I'm a participant, the, serve, the, the angels are serving us in some capacity in this realm and are um, engaged in fighting the battle with other beings like them, these other spiritual beings. It's, it's really, um, it really is otherworldly, isn't it? You, you, you just, you could live your whole life and not be aware that this whole scenario is playing out and that somehow you're involved in it. Yes, sir. Well, going along with that is actually in Jude 1, verse 9, talking about Michael the archangel, it says that, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when the dispute about the body of Moses, do not bring accusations with him, a railing accusation, but say, the Lord rebuke you. So obviously, even Michael's arguing with the devil. That's something we can't see or know about, but I can't explain the rest of the verse, but I can say they definitely have an argument. Okay, that's right. <laughs> All right, so um, there is a, a kind of dialogue conflict going on there that, that Michael and, the, and, the, and Satan are participating in. And uh, Michael recognizes his place alongside the devil in that and lets the Lord take care of, of Satan. Um, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to make somebody mad probably. Some, some of you Bible teachers who teach little kids I really dislike these songs that trivialize the devil. 
And I understand that you're trying to teach kids things in ways that they can understand them, and you're trying to engage them in all that. But, the, you know, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. And if the devil's in the way, we'll run right over him. It just seems to, to take what we see in Jude that he just read and make it okay for, for little kids to trivialize this sort of thing. So I would take a different approach. I mean, you don't want to scare kids to death, right? <laughs> uh, you don't want to give them nightmares and, and uh, have them grow up with all kinds of psych problems <laughs> because of the Bible classes they, that they were in. But okay, time out. There, may be, that. <laughs> there may be a way that we can approach this that treats it with a little bit more gravity. Yeah, Debbie, what do you want to say? I just said time out. You can stop that. You're an elder. <laughs> Lincoln's being tall. Don't teach that. <laughs> I'm not sure I know what you're saying here. Never mind. <laughs> it's too hot in here to think. It is. It's hot. Darrell. Yes, sir. So that kind of going off of that point, you know, one of the reactions that's pretty common when people do see angels is is the fear and and trembling and uh, they're. Like you were saying, you know, they're not, these are not chubby little babies that are coming in on wings. These are obviously have a lot of power and are very intimidated to people that are seeing them yeah. uh, in, in many cases. Yeah. Um, so. so the whole subject of angels and spiritual beings needs to be treated with some gravity, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and when we're talking about this invisible battle that's going on, um, I'm reminded of 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15, 13 through 15, when Elisha prays um, that the king's eyes would be opened to what's go actually going on around him uh, when he fears that they're going to be defeated. And uh, Elisha says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. <coughs> And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Um, so they were there. They were hidden from the eyes of the servant. Um, Elisha knew that they were there. He, he understood the presence of these beings. And he understood the power, uh, the surpassing power of these beings relative to the army that they were facing. And yet... Um, it was all invisible until God chose to make it visible. Um, it would be just that easy for God to take all of the spirit, spirit world that is hidden to our eyes that we've been talking about all this time and struggling to grasp throughout this entire class and make it apparent to us just like that. And that fascinates me. Fascinates me that that we could be having this conversation as though it were some sort of theoretical conversation, and it just could be so so quickly become concrete for us. Um, fascinates me. It uh, I won't use the word scares, but it sobers me to realize that that's the case. Um, because it's easy to have a trimester long class and talk about things purely from a theoretical point of view. 
uh, without actually being able to witness it. Now, I have and the other teachers have tried to, to bring that to life uh, as much as possible, to try to, to make it as real to us as it, as it is. Um, but uh, that's from, and as, as a teacher of the class, I have to readily admit that it's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for us as teachers to try to get our heads around it so that we can present it to other people. You know, this um, topic about angels is kind of thrown in at the end. I thought, well, this will be kind of fun, you know, to bring the series down to a close. Um, it, it's a curiosity. It, uh, it's fascinating. Um, we see angels popping up here and there, but you know, sort of make a synthesis out of it, synthesis out of it, and, and uh, sort of get a perspective on all of it would be maybe helpful. But you know, it's when you start trying to get your head around it, it's still fun. Doesn't quite describe <laughs> the difficulty of of trying to come to a full understanding of what we're talking about here. Um, so there are righteous angels. And there are angels of unrighteousness, as we saw, and we detailed uh, those early in the class. I've still got the compendium of verses over here uh, that we laid out of all the different classifications of, of unrighteous beings. Um, angels are mighty. Angels are, have an uncommon wisdom in some cases. They're able to impart wisdom to people. Uh, angels at times are seen offering worship to God. Um, they're most often seen as harbingers of some sort. They assist in accomplishing God's redemptive purposes and have since the beginning of time. Look back at Genesis chapter 24. the story of Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac. So the whole chapter, I mean it's a long chapter, 67 verses, that's a whopper. Um, the whole chapter is the saga of this servant as he grows closer to finding the wife, finding Rebecca, and how God intervenes in all that. And if you'll notice at verse 40, down there. So uh, the servant is conversing with Abraham, and this is told after the fact. He said, I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper you on your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from a clan, from my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from the oath. So 
How is all this going to be accomplished? Well, you know, we're not given much detail about this. But somehow, there's an angel that's involved in all of it who's going to just sort of take him by the hand and lead him down there and make sure he gets to the right girl. Um, and this all works itself out in the bringing about of bringing Christ into the world. I mean, ultimately, that's, that's how this plays out, isn't it? That uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac finds a wife, Rebecca, and then we have Jacob and the children of Israel, and um, Jesus eventuates from all that. So angels are, are um, integral to the process of, of bringing Messiah into the world and accomplishing God's will, not only in the, New in the Old Testament, but all the way through the New Testament. Here's another example um, in Acts chapter 7. beginning in verse 52. This is Stephen as uh, his discourse is heating up and he's beginning to offend the Jews. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So here you have the... the <laughs> thanks. <laughs> background music provided by Don Merton. Um, so you have those who received the law as delivered by angels. So what he's saying here is that the message in the Old Testament law was being delivered by these messengers. We don't read much about that, do we? We, we read about the prophets writing, but we don't read a lot about the role that angels play as, as messengers in, in delivering the old law. Okay. Well, really, yes, sir. It talks about it a little bit earlier in that. I think it's um, verse 38 where it talks about Moses in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. So okay. you see, you don't see it in, I don't think we see it in the Old Testament, but Stephen gives us some insight into seems to be the Lord was with Moses on Mount Sinai, but also probably an angel that delivered a lot of that law to him. And in support of what you're saying, if you look over in Galatians chapter 3, <coughs> Paul is describing how the law of Moses came about. Um, you ever give much thought? To the development of the old law, and I, I, I know about you know the tabernacle and temple worship and all that. But apart from that, I'm talking about the details of the law developing uh, 
thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. If this, then that. You know, the details of the law worked out. Why then, Paul says, the law? It was added because of transgressions. You know, if things had been, everything had been great since the garden, people had walked in the ways of God, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been necessary to elaborate this monstrous law to try to regulate every aspect of human behavior. But when people didn't um, comply with God's will, a law would be added. Say, okay, if this is, it's God providing man a way forward under circumstances that were created by man where, where man didn't do what God said. So man transgressed the law, and so God adds a law to tell them where, how, where do you go from here after you've messed this up? What do you do to, to do the best you can? So you might say that the law was God's righteous answer to man's unrighteousness. Um, God gave us a law. Man transgressed it. God gives us a law to give man a way forward. Always a way forward. God provides a way forward when man transgresses. That's not a sign of impatience by adding law. That's a sign of patience, isn't it? I mean, what God might have done under circumstances like that is said, you guys messed this up, you deal with it. But he didn't do that. He never did that. He gave them a way forward under each one of those circumstances. Okay? So why then the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So this is all leading up to a, to a Christ child. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Okay, so again, we have the angels participating in the unfolding of, the, of this God's righteous answer to man's unrighteousness. You've got angels that are involved in the unfolding of that. Uh, and again, we might not have known that that happened if you just read through the text in the Old Testament. It's hard to tell what part God is playing directly, what part the Holy Spirit's playing, what part of the angels playing. But we're just being told here that angels were a big part of all that. And there was a time even when angels were giving messages, the prophets were giving messages that angels didn't understand and it kind of made them curious, didn't it? You remember that? Things that angels desire to look into. Can you? I can. I just have this picture, this image in my mind, of the angels in the spiritual realm and the prophecies being delivered to the prophets, and the angels saying, "What's going on here? How is this gonna? How is this gonna play out?" The angels themselves were curious about the drama that was playing out on earth as we're curious about the drama that's playing out in the spiritual world. I just find that, that imagery uh, enticing to, to think about the, the angels um, and their curiosity about God's long-term plan, not being able to tease it out themselves. Darrell, yeah. is it possible then for angels to, also, as messengers, to also deliver a message contrary to God? And I'm, I'm asking that more based on Galatians 1.8 when he's saying that even if an angel says something to you contrary, is that, is he kind of saying that or is that actually a possibility? And do we have well, an example? Um, I, you know, there, it seems to me like hyperbole in that context, 
he's saying like, okay, even if we, and he's talking about the apostles, I assume, even if we, or even if an angel from heaven um, contradicts the, the message that we have given you, let him be accursed. Um, so I don't necessarily think he's saying there that, that angels are doing this. I'm saying that he, he's just saying, even if this happened, you wouldn't, you wouldn't follow the angel, you would follow what we've told you because what we've told you has been made secure. Now, having said that, we know that there are evil angels who do send false messages. We have examples of those in the scriptures. Um, we have uh, the angel that appears, or Satan who appears as an angel of light, right? So there is this kind of deceptive trick that angels play where they take on appearances and they uh, deliver messages, and that's why I suppose we're we're challenged to, to try the, to test the spirits to know which which are true, rather than just you know whatever crosses your mind you accept it as being true because it crossed your mind. Well, no, that's not a sufficient test for that. And and how do you do that? Well, probably by the assets that we have, by our knowledge of Scripture and whether. It seems to fit with all the other things that, that God has told us. What else? <coughs> I'm digging in my notes here for something I haven't already said. While you're doing that, I guess another question along with that is if there are evil spirits or angels, doesn't it seem that there's some sort of sense of free will among angels? Angels who left their first estate? Yeah, I mean, I, Second Peter and Jude. I don't think that that... So I, I guess Scripture points towards the fact that there was a choice mm -hmm. there rather than yeah. inherit. Yeah, you don't ever get the sense that God creates a being without free will and forces him to do what he wants him to do, right? You always get the sense that the person, that the, whatever personage this is, whether it's angel or whether it's human or whether it's some other creature, that the person always has some choice in the matter. And if they do evil, if they speak evil, if they go against God, it's, it's their choice in doing so. I, don't, I can't cite one instance where God just mechanically forced somebody to do something that was against his will. That wouldn't make sense, would it? It's sort of like um, Satan casting, or Jesus uh, casting out demons in the name of a demon. It just doesn't, doesn't fit. Did I see it? Yeah, Justin. Just a, another question. You said angels were created, and I believe that. Do we know, like, when was it prior to the creation of you know the seven day creation or is it i mean i don't know that it answers that but I'm curious um it was before the creation because it talks about the angels are rejoicing as the morning stars are are being created so they were present with they were present with god even at the time of creation very very good point um let's look at nehemiah
And just read verse 6. This is the clearest indication I know of anywhere in Scripture that talks about where angels came from. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So who are the hosts of heaven? 100%. Every time you see that in the Bible, it's always talking about angels. The heavenly armies. Where did they come from? Well, according to this verse, couldn't be much clearer. God made all of them. And beyond that, Justin, I wouldn't know where else to tell you to turn. Because there's really just not a lot of information. Uh, um, like Seth said, you see, we, we, we find them participating very early on in God's plan, but, but uh, not, not a lot of information about where they come from. Darrell, can you talk about nine, Psalm 91, 11, and 12? Like it seems like it's saying that God's angels guard us. 9 I'm going to back up and start reading from verse 9 to get some context. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you should strike your foot against the stone. And you will tread on the, on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample on your foot. Okay. Uh, this this uh, passage is um, reminiscent of another, isn't it? Where do we see this again? Satan believed this. All right. Absolutely. Satan believed it. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was carried out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... Satan actually quotes this to Jesus when he told him to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple. And, uh, and, and he, he said, you know, what's the problem? You can do this and no, no harm's going to come to you. And he quotes, quotes the psalm in saying so. Um, so what's the, what's the message here about angels? Um, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So it, if we take this literally to be talking about Jesus or foreshadowing Jesus, then the angels were surrounding him to protect him. But that brings up an interesting question. What other times in Jesus' life do we see angels surrounding him? One that comforts him in the garden. Okay, all right. The angel that comforts him in the garden got me through that class. <laughs> um, didn't they come to him after he was tempted? Yes, they did. They came and ministered to him after he'd been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so Jesus had this surrounding of angels and he was aware of it. Um, we also have a surrounding of angels even when we're not. Sunday is the last class and I am scheduled to teach that one. 
And so what I intend to do is recap what we've done throughout this whole class, emphasizing the, what I think are the major takeaway points, allow you to